to White Are you ready to truck it? I'm Dooner here with Michael Vincent, the dude on this very good, good Friday. Hey, man, welcome everybody from the heart of uh, Freight Alley. It's a beautiful spring day again. It's How are spring- you doing today, my brother? You know, it's a spring day, and it feels like spring day. It feels, it like, it feels like a new beginning. And maybe yep. it's just because I've had a couple shots of Pfizer in me. <laughs> you know, i feeling a little bit emboldened. But we all went through Thanksgiving. We all went through Christmas where you had yes. to see family with masks on and being in the backyard. And I'm not saying we're fully in the clear now, but there's a lot more people this Easter families that can hang out together safely than could have back at Christmas. And that's cool, and that's progress. And it's just great to see how fast this is moving along. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, it was a year ago, which seems like 10 years ago this past year, but it was a year ago when we were all hoping that maybe someday we'd have a vaccine and maybe that was going to take two, three years or whatever. I mean, you remember the timelines discussion. There was no prayer of having it by now. Not last year at this time. And here we are. And here we are. And you're a couple of days away from being fully vaxxed. Yeah, right. I got all dead. Monday. I go Monday. Hey, Freightwaves Insiders yesterday. Show I relaunched recently. It's audio only at the moment. We're going to add video soon. Just finishing up my studio at home. But... Check it out, because I talked to Michael Leto. He's the, he's the CEO of Emerge. His brother, by the way, Enterprise Fleet, yeah. Andrew, he's the keynote speaker. But my oh, two big takeaways from that were, uh, were, one was that Michael wanted to be a chef when he grew up, when he was a teenager. What did you want to That's be when you grew up? I, I was full-on full on, uh, professional football player all the way into high school. You know, this, this tails right into the next most interesting thing he told me. Now, we always hear that when people are hiring sales teams, they want to look for athletes, football players, and logistics, looking for athletes, football players. You hear it all the time. Fine, right? It's common knowledge. Yeah. But he also said his second favorite people to hire are servers, waiters, the logistics of serving table, the, the logistics of understanding a menu, working with the cook staff, working with people who may not even speak the same language with, as you. Yeah. And I was like, you know, that's, that's the first time I've heard someone say that. And he's so right. And it hit me right in the heart because I used to be a server too. I've done it myself. And, and you're right. When you, when you first said that, I was like, that, that makes perfect sense. I never thought of it that way. But there, that mindset is definitely there. There's that just in time, that sequencing of events, that planning out everything. A good server makes all the difference in the world. Uh, yeah, I can see how that works. Servers, if you're looking for a new summer job, jump over here in the supply chain. It's a good time. I know yeah. serving waiting tables can be a great living, especially if you're good at it. I've done it myself, got through college. But, hey, there's a great path for you, especially at a company like Emerge. They're looking. Listen to that episode. Look up Freightwaves Insiders wherever you get your podcast. You'll find it there. On today's episode, we're talking about Triumph Pay's big $97 million buy of Hubtran. That news came out just the other day. We're going to be talking to Jordan Graff from there. He'll tell us all about what went into that. We're going to be talking about getting drivers in shape with a new fitness program and building sales infrastructure and sales teams with two great uh, people from the world of business, getting us some insight into that. But before we get there, this episode is brought to you by Redwood, a leading logistics platform company has provided solutions for moving and managing freight for more than 20 years. The company's diverse portfolio includes digital freight brokerage, flexible freight management, and innovative platform services such as LPASAAS and Redwood Connect that fill the gaps between logistics and technology. Connect Redwood at... Oh, hey, go to redwoodlogistics.com immediately after the show, but no sooner because you got to watch us, man. Time for the headlines. That's it. All right, what's happening in the world today? 
Truck transport jobs. We just spoke about jobs. Well, they rose in March. February figures revised upwards, too. So John Kingston has a report on this one. He said after a few months of relatively weak employment growth in truck transportation, the industry added jobs in March and posted stronger revised numbers for February, according to figures released on Friday from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. The monthly report showed the total jobs in truck transportation sector added 3,300 jobs in March. Yeah, which is nice. Uh, But uh, (laughs) what it all means is that while March may have added jobs to a uh, revised February number, right? The preliminary figure for March is only about 2,500 jobs more than uh, than January, which was a seasonally weak month. So given the strong levels of freight volumes that are out there and the combination of slow job growths that are out there and demand to move freight uh, could be seen as an equation is driving the pie, uh, the driver pay much higher. We've been reporting on so many people bringing up that pay, right? It's almost becoming a bidding war that's out there. Warehousing and storage sector, which ran strong job growth numbers for months, is now seeing relatively slow increases as well. And uh, rail jobs continue their slide as well. Speaking of those jobs too, Andrew Bounds in here, he's says that serving bartendering is great training for sales. So he's co-signing that one. Wayne Craig is here. He said, hey, guys, let's get this weekend started. Peter Bollet, happy Friday to all. And uh, Ray Workman, thanks for joining us. Share this out with your friends. Invite him to the show. It's going to be a good one today. Uh, what else we got going on? It's uh, without planning. Drones, right? We're hearing about drones all yeah. the time. They sound super cool. But you throw a lot of them in the sky, you're going to have a lot of traffic problems. You were talking about that earlier, man. (laughs) Well, someone's done the math. Brian Strait, he reported on this. If drone delivery finally takes off, how long will it be before the final before a package is finally delayed due to congestion because there's so many drones in the sky. Well, that's one of the issues that drone manufacturers are trying to solve for right now before it becomes that nightmare scenario. Israel has undertaken a two-year pilot to develop integrated communication systems to coordinate dozens of flying drones at the same time in small areas. Yeah, it's no small undertaking, I'm sure. The report, using urban footprint to plan drone delivery of medicines and vaccines to rural areas, which received additional support from NASA, shows what is possible for drones with proper planning. What is also indicated is uh, that companies in the drone space need to work with local and state authorities to get approvals and regulations that will allow expanded drone deliveries. So they have control over this, right? Yeah, and the report is focusing on rural delivery, and we'll get to why. But Goldstein said the urban example is a more interesting case study. He noted that in rural areas, drones are not flying over people, a lot of tall buildings and other obstacles, whereas in uh, you know urban areas, those considerations come more into play. Yeah. Bank data cited in the Urban Footprint report noted that the potential price difference between delivery providers, it cited a $6 to $65 uh, to $6.50 per delivery cost for UPS and FedEx for these rural deliveries, mm-hmm. uh, $4 to $5 for mid-tier carriers, $2 for the post office for delivery, but just $0.05 cents for robots and drones. So what they're really trying to say here is that the big opportunity in drones is in these rural areas, not so much as in cities, where initially it might be like that makes the most sense based on density, based on based on range of drones and all that stuff. But when you actually look at the numbers and the cost factors, it's rural where the money is. Yeah, and it seems to make more sense. It seems to be that it would be much easier to to uh, build out the regulations and be able to control them too, right, with the yeah. less density. That's where it seems like. And that's where it's growing up right now. Vaccines to uh, remote locations that can't get them fast enough, that type of stuff is where, you know, a lot of this use has been. So yeah, it it's seems cool seems- and exciting times. Before we went on air, we were talking about this story, and I said, you know, if I was coming out of college – 
drones would probably be a field I'd key in on heavily because you could use it creatively to film things. You can use it commercially or on the tech side, use some of those skills. So and it seems like it's it's nothing. It's going to be nothing but growing. Well, and inspection and stuff like that. Think about commercial inspection of uh, bridges and towers and and, uh, windmills and all this type of stuff. Right. They already use them on rails, too. Yeah. They, they, to, to check out, you know, deep out in the woods where we're, well, in rural areas where rail yep. tracks are that people can't just get to to see if there's debris and whatnot. Yep. Yep. Makes perfect sense. Suez Canal. We're not out of the clear with the Suez Canal, right? With the ever given. All eyes are on East Coast ports as volumes spike. We have to wait a couple of weeks for those boats to arrive. But when they do, what's going to happen? Well, Corey White looks at this one on FreightWaves.com. The Ever Given no longer lodged in the Suez Canal, but the pileup it caused has everyone wondering the repercussions that may materialize in the coming weeks. Um, Osama Rabi, right? Osama Rabi, the chairman and managing director yeah. of the state-owned Suez Canal Authority, said that they will reach over a billion dollars in compensation. So it's going to cost someone some money before it even gets here in the United States. And he says this. He said, we saved them so much by rescuing the ship without any major damages or losses. The whole ship could have been lost. So you've you got to give them a, a billion dollars. It's totally reasonable. Yeah, it seems totally reasonable. It does. And in the meantime, the ever given disruption meets a climate of already tight capacity. Obviously, we've been yeah. talking about this, right? The slightest little thing is is making the reaction that much bigger. It's exponentially larger. Several days ago, domestic tender rejections, for instance, topped at a uh, twenty eight point three percent, twenty eight point three one percent, meaning carriers are rejecting contract rate for almost a higher paying spot rates, right? Uh, six basis points below the peak rejections of Christmas, holiday, and and and, mm. and Thanksgiving season which was uh, 28.37. This comes at an interesting time, too, because with the issues on the West Coast, and that's what us in supply chain have been yeah. screaming about. Everyone's going on about the Suez, and we're like, hey, don't forget about San Pedro Bay. There's still 26 boats at anchor. Yeah. And if you're not getting your furniture on time or most of the delays you're experiencing now, that's actually from that. That's on the West Coast. That has nothing to do with Suez yet. Um, but the, the issue is because of that congestion on the West Coast, it's causing congestion other places as those ships know that there's just a backlog. There's a log jam of 26 ships at anchor yeah. damn near every single day. So they're going to Savannah. They're going to New York. They're going through the Suez Canal. What will the ramifications be? They could be big. Yahoo Finance actually looked at this, too, and they said that the, the most immediate things that may be hard to find are toilet paper, furniture, cheese, and coffee. And the toilet paper, I was like, Really? Again? I guess it's the pulp, because it's the pulp. I guess a big pulp uh, manufacturer goes down to Brazil oh, through the okay. Suez Canal. Oh, okay. That will probably take a while yeah, before yeah, that yeah. hits us. I would think so. I mean, the other ramifications people are looking at is just the container situation. It's not really the backup of, 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 of ships onto the East Port. That's part of it as well. But then, you know, the container situation as well. Does that adjust, and how do you get them back into Asia to come back on the West Coast and so on? Well, it's time to congratulate the Steve Martin of Freight Waves, <laughs> according to our own Craig Fuller. It's Jordan Graft. He's the CEO of Triumph Pay. They just made a big acquisition, $97 million in cash for Hubtran. Sounds super cool. Jordan, congratulations on the deal. What led to the agreement? Well, first... Hello, sharks. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I, I was going to say, you know, it was going to be $97,500, mi- $97, but you, you, you still uh, have a debt to pay there, my, my friend. All right, give me your Venmo and I'll settle the debt. I don't like having an outstanding debt. Uh, um, you know what? It's you. worth it just to keep it. Keep the $500. I just want to bust you about it. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, man. Well, thank you guys for having me. Yeah, very excited about the acquisition of Hubtrans. Uh, with the acquisition of Hubtran, it fulfills a, a key missing part uh, for Triumph Pay that allows us to create the first transportation payments network 
that's integrated with all parties uh, in the supply, all parties in the transaction. Excellent stuff. It, it is really so. It, this is uh, Jordan. It's 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 quite a pivot, is it? Is it not? Bit. Can you can you talk about that? I mean, tell us why why Triumph Pay has has made this the strategic decision to go from reverse factoring and and solutions and creating this payment network. Yeah, and, and another way that you know we like to talk about is really just an expansion. You know, reverse factoring in the payments piece was kind of the the tail end of that billing and payments lifecycle. And with Hubtrain, we're able to capture kind of those first two pieces of presentment and then the settlement or approval of the invoice for payment. So by doing that, and, and what Hubtrain also brings along is the integrations into the factoring companies and, and carriers into also the brokers. So we're able to create this, take the world from emails and unstructured data and phone calls on the billing and payment side to API integration. And that's the future of Triumph Pay, creating API integration uh, for the parties in the transaction um, whether it's factors and brokers or a broker and a carrier to, to create that connectivity between the, the parties. You know, these two industries, factoring and, and brokerage, they're, they're, they're large, right? These are large intermediary uh, industries that help create uh, what happens in truckload freight. They, they are integral to, to truckload freight in the U.S. Um, and it, part of what drives that is that fragmentation of the U.S. truckload carrier base. And so we view what with this acquisition and now the scale that TriPay has reached it's our job to serve both of these constituents well and to create coordination and integration between the parties. So speaking of that and the coordination, will the payments network be open to everyone and, when, and will participants in the network have equal access? Yes, they will. So that is a great question. And as a key element, you know, when we, when we saw Hubtran and, and went down this path, the acquisition, we saw that we were going to be able to create a, a true payments network that was integrated. And so we had to make a decision, which path do we go? Do we go closed loop or open loop? And there was a discussion about going closed loop and using the benefit of all the integrations and data to just benefit Triumph uh, to the detriment of, of the other parties in, in the industry. And, and the decision was, look, that may feel good in the short term, but that's not great in the long term. It's not what's best for the industry. It's not the legacy we want to leave as, as, as Triumph pay for, for the industry. And so it is going to be open loop. All factors, all brokers, all carriers are invited and welcome to join and will have equal access. Additionally, we're inviting um, a group of, of brokers and factors to come together to help us write the rules and standards for this network, right? Because that's a really important part of a network is to have clearly defined rules and standards uh, for the participants to engage with. So we can create that efficiency um, because it's, it's known how you interact uh, with the network. So I was going to ask that, Jordan. I mean, this is an industry game changer. How is it? Is it that that interaction with these uh, new customers that is going to determine the path forward, or how are you going to determine that that path forward? And specifically, what are these benefits for for the factors that are out there? Yeah, the benefits for the factors they get all the efficiency that currently exists in Triumph Pay, right? So they get to automate the entirety of that transaction when they, when it when everything flows through an API integration from verification to NOA presentment, to cash application, all those things get automated. And that's really powerful as you think of the, the cost savings uh, for that industry and what that can then do for their carriers. It can create a better carrier experience as well when you have this transparent integration into the, the billing process. Why it's great for brokers is brokers are going to get more structured data delivered to them. Instead of all their invoices coming from their carriers and factors via email, they're going to start getting them via API integration. And so it's going to have that indexing to a load, the classification. So you're talking about the ability to create true lights out processing uh, with the hub train tools and these integrations for, for brokers. It's also great for brokers because they're going to continue to get rebates on conforming transactions and quick pay. We're going to continue to rebate to brokers as payers in the network um, so that they 
they feel a, a financial benefit as well as an efficiency benefit. Jordan, I'm looking at your beautiful, shiny office behind you. Is uh, Hubtran going to be moving in there? Are they going to stay? Are their operations going to remain a little bit independent? How is how's that uh, going to blend? Yeah, answer in two parts. Our operations, we will become one entity. We will become Triumph Pay um, as a part of the integration process. Hubtrain's team, though, is is fully is mostly remote, I, I, or fully remote for, for all intents and purposes. So they're going to stay remote. Uh, we've offered a few people the opportunity to relocate to Dallas, but um, we're going to, to bring them into our team and we're going to work together as one unit. Excellent stuff. Can I ask this question? Why Hubtrans specifically? Mm-hmm. What, what is the synergies there? It's always really important to make sure you have strong partners. Hubtrans, you're fully on board with what they're doing here. Uh, tell us why Hubtrans. Yeah, because the, the question the board asked was like, why would we buy this when we could build it, right? And, and the answer was, was three parts. The first is I love that team. Mike Mangino, Matt Bernstein, Josh Asbury, those guys have built an incredible team and culture. I know them well. We've been partnered and partnered with them and integrated with them for a long time. Their culture fits our culture. And, and so we really valued the people as a part of this. Mike Mangino is going to be our CTO. Josh Asbury is going to have a leadership position on the brokerage side of our business. So first and foremost, the people. The second part was it allowed us to create transformation uh, quickly. Instead of building this product and, and building out the functionality and then communicating to the market and doing that slowly, incrementally, we're able to, with one acquisition, gain control of the narrative and communicate this transformation to the industry at once. And, and that's really powerful um, and worth a lot of the, the cost of this, of this purchase. The third piece, the third piece, which is, is, is funny that we mentioned it last because people's the most important. Uh, the transformation is the second. The, the third was that they fit so tightly into our product portfolio um, into our feature set. They were so complimentary into what we were offering the market. And that there were there was no there was very little thing, there was very few things that Hubtrain did that we didn't want, right? We we wanted it all and we wanted to fit it very tightly into our business. So when you combine all three of those, the people, opportunity to create transformation and the the product the product fit, it just made total sense. I, I love that answer, too, because in mm-hmm. this business, knowledge can be so specialized. So it's not like you can always just go and build something. Sometimes you need that team, and that's where the real value is, that expertise. So it's not that simple. So you gave your board the right answer, in, yeah. in my opinion, with that one. So you, <laughs> b- big spe- So is there another move uh, in line? You, you eyeball on your, your next move from here? You going to let this one the dust settle on this first? Yeah, we have a couple more ideas out there in, in the market. But for the next 6 to 12 months, we're going to be focused solely on getting Hubtrain integrated well, getting this payments network welded together and serving our customers well. That's our first and foremost priority right now. The deal, the deal, uh, the deal making is on the side for now, and we got to get this thing integrated and, and serving it well and, and actually build and complete the vision of what we have. Um, and if we don't do that, then we lose the trust of our customers. Um, we lose the trust of the industry. So we're first and foremost focused on that. And then, yeah, down the road, there's a couple other ideas that we got out there that would help expand our product set. Excellent stuff. I think the secondary thing that they're focused on is uh, coming out to F3 Ooh. in November. Is that right, Jordan? That's right, man. I'm, I'll be vaccinated. I'm going to be out there rocking and rolling. You and I can high five. And uh, you know, we don't have to elbow bump anymore and go high five. Nice. Yeah, there you go. In awesome. a couple of days, I, I'm fully vaxxed. A couple of days, he's going to be fully vaxxed. So we'll we'll be all set to give hugs at uh, at F3 to anyone who needs them. Jordan, we got to give you a little cowbell <laughs> on that big deal. Congratulations. And uh, thank you so much for, for sharing, uh, get, letting us inside this deal a little bit and sharing it with us. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you having me. Take it easy. Good stuff. I love that team over there.
Oh, yeah. No, they're awesome. Little cowbell story. So Kate Julio, um, she was there for a while. She was the first person to ever win a cowbell from What the Truck. Oh, is that right? Yeah, she won the cowbell beater contest that we had at Transparency 19, my first live event. Oh, that when you yeah. who did the best cowbells? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I did the in the inside. I didn't, oh, you came I didn't, in and talked with yeah, us, but right? I didn't do. I didn't. I didn't win. I, I remember at first, <laughs> everyone was like, "What the hell is this guy doing?" And I'm like, "No, just just let me play it out. Let me play it out." And it was great. And, and Kate loved it. And then Triumph Pace shared it on their feed, the cowbell and everything. And I was like, "I, it's... I, I thought it was awesome." I, I remember the first time you played it in, in, the, in the conference, and it was well, in there playing a cowbell. <laughs> and it was like, "What the heck?" Who's I was excited. Gary V was coming on stage. <laughs> All right, hey, let's talk awesome. to you. Uh, let's talk to Joey Gilkey. He's a sales strategist, and he's the CEO of the sales drain, the sales driven agency. He's not draining anything. He actually looks like he's full of energy. If you've seen his one sheet, Joey, thanks for joining us today hey what's up gentlemen thank you for having me on oh wow you looked like so crisp and sharp for a second i thought that was like a headshot that they put up for us i did i thought i did no, I, I when you started moving i was still yeah when he started moving i was shocked a little bit i was like, <laughs> I was like oh wow they give, they give nice stuff <laughs> so joey introduce yourself to us you're with the uh, you're with the sales driven agency uh, high yeah. energy guy you've done some great jobs with some sales teams yeah man so cool i'm uh, i'm just up 75 from you guys i'm in knoxville uh so i'm the ceo of sales driven agency Sales Driven Agency is a sales consultancy. We come in and help build sales operations at high-ticket B2B companies. Uh, so what we do is we really come in and we help build sales teams, sales process, sales technology stacks, all-in-one, everything that's all-encompassing. We're, we're almost a fractional VP of sales at our consulting level. We have a bunch of other smaller info products and mastermind type stuff on the lower level, but that is us in a nutshell. We come in and we help people who don't know how to hire, train, and manage salespeople do that and do it effectively and then give them all the tools around them to be successful. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a very, very interesting concept. I want to get into this, but I really I need to ask you, Presbyterian blue hose, is it like a blue hose, or are they blue hose like <laughs> socks? Yeah, good question. So we are top five worst-named colleges of all time. So he's referencing I play football in college at a school called Presbyterian College, and our mascot was the blue hose, which uh, is actually way more badass than the name – portrays so blue hose if you've seen uh braveheart those guys were blue hose right they used to wear these they were known for these blue socks yeah uh, and the blue war paint and so that's what it technically is is more like a scottish warrior um but also can be mistaken for a couple other things hose is used very well uh the swim team uh they were called uh we are Something, something along the lines of our hose are best when wet or something like that. That didn't go over super well. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's a, I just didn't Especially know if your mascot ran around like, yeah, hey, mess with us and you're going you're gonna to get the hose, but we're going to spray you with that's the hose. Right. So I got I to gotta ask you, so fo- football's <laughs> up now. At the beginning of the show, we were, I was talking about an interview I did with, with Michael Lido from uh, Emerge, and he, and he said the obvious. They love to hire people who've played college sports and high school sports, people who sure. have been in that regimen. But he also said he loves to hire waiters and servers as well. Have you had the same experience hiring waiters? staff and founding that they they translate well into salespeople? Uh, yes and no. So I think for me, um, I don't like hiring sexy industries. So I really mm-hmm. don't like hiring folks who are like an enterprise SaaS company coming and working for like a high, like a really high ticket complex B2B sale uh, for a number of reasons. One is sometimes the company's enterprise SaaS, they, they have a little bit of prima donna where they've been given like the tax, the tech stack galore which sometimes in a small business world can't provide that. So I came from the fortune world. I was given all the resources in the world. I managed a team of 115 salespeople with an infinite budget, basically. That doesn't exist in our small business world, right? 
And or so, freight, or freight. I mean, here, yeah. a lot of freight companies, you come in, and uh, I have to agree with you on that one, because if they come from a SaaS world, they have one sheets, they have great marketing materials, yeah. and they have national campaigns. Come into freight, you get a business card, you get a cell phone, you get a laptop, that's and that's right. about it. You yeah. know, you're not going to get a ton, you're going to have to do a lot of work yourself. To your original question, yeah, I like hiring the the less sexy industries, um, the folks who know how to grind. Some folks who maybe been in the insurance industry, even where it's a tough, I mean, it's a tough game. I was in the risk management consulting and commercial insurance space for a little while, and it's a tough game. But you, the people who make it there grind, and so if you can convince someone who's making it in that industry to come over to yours, uh, they can kill it. So the wait staff too, like they understand customer service, they listen well. Um, so yes, in a complex B2B sale, there's going to be a lot of onboarding and product market training that has to happen to get someone who's maybe just, you know, waiting in a restaurant, but from a soft skills and from like an intangibles, I love hiring people in full-time ministry. Um, my best sales guy who performs in my company is came from seven years of full-time pastoral ministry. The dude crushes it. Um, easy to teach, very humble. And he grinds because he, he went from making virtually nothing to making, you know, well into the six figures in sales um, but you know, again, sexy or unsexy industries like insurance, uh, car sales, people, believe it or not, can do super well in this space. And so, yeah, don't be afraid. Don't let the resume, um, it can fool you. It can be real sexy and shiny, but that can come with a lot of baggage. Yeah, absolutely. You need that grinder. It's a numbers game in many cases, you know, you got to collect those no's. That's what I was taught very early on was even sure. if you get hit your numbers today in the positive side, did you get to those negative numbers, right? Because that grows your positive numbers. You know, don't rest on your lures. What have you done for me today? And based on that, when you were in football, you didn't, you didn't train and, and get higher or, you know, you didn't sign on with Presbyterian College and then train for three weeks and then say, okay, you're good to go and you don't have to practice anymore. Is, can you I talk wish. to that in the sales in the sales arena? You connect all those things together, and people can hire really, really well, yeah. and hire good salespeople. But then it starts to fall apart as they go along because they don't have that I, I sustained support. Well, in sports, you have a playbook too, right? Like, it, yeah. and when you mention playbooks here, are you talking about an actual physical? Because we always talk about like the the ephemeral playbook in sales that doesn't really exist. Are you talking about actually creating real playbooks? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we have our own. We have all our playbooks documented hard, you know, you could print them off if you want to, but they live inside of, we use Notion, which is like our, our relational database that allows us to kind of interweave a lot of our content, internal resources. But yeah, playbooks are a godsend if you know how to create them, right? Playbooks are a series of actions and workflows to help you get to a common uh, desired outcome, right? So if I want to get a, a meeting with the VP of sales at a freight company or someone selling freight right into a, another organization, and I realize that there are certain things that need to happen in order for me to achieve that outcome. Well, then those series of actions put together create a workflow. And based on different situations, if this, then do that, they should know exactly the play-by-play playbook to achieve that outcome. And so that is huge. And, and to your original question, yes, it, it's not a one hit and quit. We do a big training and, and send you on your way and that's it. That's one thing I hated about corporate was they did a kick-ass job in the fortune where we built a 13 week training and then it's kind of like, you should be good, you know, and just experience is going to eventually get you where you need to get to, which is to some degree true. You've got to put it into practice, but we've got to keep the blade sharp. Otherwise, and you guys know this, um, in the software world in the marketing world and anything that involves tech platforms or regulations, things change real fast nowadays. The internet has, has created an environment where we change 
techniques and platforms and, and, and strategies get saturated a lot faster. And so if we're not staying on top of that and recreating our playbooks, and the other thing is the, the purpose of, of training and creating playbooks is we create repetition and we create repetition, we create data. When we have data, we can make really hard decisions and understand when something's trending down, we need to make some changes. And so if you don't do that, and you're just kind of shooting blindly or you send a salesperson off and say, hey, I've got, here's your base salary plus commission model. I pay you, you bring me back money, we'll have a great relationship. It's going to fail. I don't care how good they are. You know, there's a company in this business called Global Trends that just thinking oh, of Lido again, jogging my memory. They have a ton of agents, right? They yeah. really, they, they didn't necessarily popularize the agent model, but they expanded it greatly. But you say here that you help digital agency owners fire themselves from sales and hire, train, and manage rock star sales teams. So are you saying a lot of these agency owners make the mistake of trying to be too involved from the, the sales process and they won't scale if they do that? Yeah, it's a couple things. I think there, there's one, it's either, uh, deficiency through ignorance, right? It's, they don't know what they don't know. And so a lot of folks, again, have that mentality. I pay you, you pay me back with sales, right? And that just doesn't work, right? Like you said, you can have a rock star salesperson come in and because they're coming from one environment to the next, just because they have the experience does not necessarily mean they're going to be successful. And so if you have that mentality of I pay you, you come back and do a job that might work for like a project manager. That doesn't work for sales where you got to go compete in the marketplace externally facing, not just internally. And so I see that's a big mistake is one, not knowing what you don't know. Uh, one of my, one of my, uh, my mentors uh, a long time ago told me what you don't know can put you out of business. Um, and that's one of my favorite phrases is, is always be a sponge. And a lot of these agency owners kind of just go into it where it's like, Hey, I have a problem, which is either I'm still selling or I no longer want to sell. So I need to go hire sales. That seems like the next logical thing to do. And, and and their idea of doing that is put a job posting out there, maybe run some ads on Indeed, get a bunch of applicants and hire the best one that sounds the best or looks the best on paper and give them a salary plus a base commit or a base salary plus commission type of model. That's also a big common mistake is most people's compensation models are so broken. They have no idea they're losing tens if not hundreds of thousands of dollars by doing the wrong compensation model. So I'll digress from that, but there's so many things where they're just not setting people up for success, whether it's through ignorance or it's through laziness. Um, they're not doing the necessary things to actually have, like I say, rock star salespeople who are hired, trained, and managed killers. Now, you were right, Michael. Before he came on, you said we probably could talk to him all day. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, we're <laughs> almost out of time, but you know, we'll let our friend we'll let our friend Kevin Hill over on Put That Coffee Down, which is our free sales podcast. Oh, we'll, yeah. we'll tell him he should book you on there. Oh, but before absolutely. we let you go, when we get your contact information, we got to spin our wheel of stupid questions. Round and round it goes. Where it lands, nobody knows. Oh, this is perfect for you. Would you rather be stuck on sales calls all day with a flat earther or a guy who believes in the power of magnetic bracelets? <laughs> Uh, probably the power of the magnetic bracelets. I would love to be on a, on a, on a call with that guy. <laughs> we could talk woo woo. We can get all into like reticular activating systems and just get real down the rabbit hole. Hell yeah. Sign me up. Beautiful. I love it, man. Well, Hey, people who want to connect with you, they want to empower their sales teams. They want to fire themselves. Where do they go? Yeah. Come find me at LinkedIn, linkedin.com uh, forward slash I N forward slash Joey Gilkey, or check us out, uh, salesdrivenagency.com. If you are super cool and you're an actual agency owner, go to best damn agency or excuse me, best damn We got a killer mastermind for agency owners who are doing seven or eight figures. Awesome. Thanks, Joe. We have a great Easter. Take care, brother. Cheers, guys. Take it easy. 
I got a feeling if you call him, he's going to tell you how it is. I bet he is. I don't think he's going to sugarcoat anything if he sees things screwed up. And I like that. Hey, do they ever try to sell you those magnetic bracelets? They always try to sell them to oh, athletes. Yeah. Heck yeah. I know. Absolutely. Nonstop, right? Yeah. Especially pitchers. Yeah, yeah. That'll yeah. keep you balanced. Oh, yeah, it'll keep you. You won't even need Tommy John surgery if you wear these magnets. <laughs> this episode is not brought to you by magnetic bracelets. No, it it's not. brought to you by Trying of Pay. Trying of Pay is committed to providing efficiency and value to all of their customers. With their definitive agreement to acquire Hubtran, the combined company will create a fully integrated payments network for the transportation industry, including factors, brokers, and carriers. Visit TriumphPay.com to learn how we can drive your business forward together. Now, let's get in shape, man. Yeah. It's getting it. to be t-shirt weather, although it's 30 degrees here in Chattanooga this morning. Yeah, but it's, it's yeah, but, but I was still know, wearing shorts. Yeah, we got to slim down. <laughs> we got to slim down a little bit. It's going to be, it's going to be nice out. Yeah, you're, you are that. You, you bring I, a lot of that energy. I'm that guy. You, you're the shorts energy <laughs> guy. guy. Well, we got Mark Manera now. He's the founder of the Trucking Fitness Company. Mark, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you for having me on. Hey, so I got to ask you something. So you're, you're a pretty young guy. You are a student. You're learning about physical therapy and all those kind of things. You're trying to become a doctor of that. You're also doing this trucking fitness company. But how did you decide to key in on the niche of trucking based on, on your background? Yeah, so like you said, I have a background in physical therapy. I'm actually, what, it's six months now. It's been, it's been a long six and a half years, but it's six months until I graduate with my doctorate degree. Uh, and I actually got started in the trucking industry from working with drivers on the rehab side of things. And it was, uh, I worked with a ton of drivers uh, in an outpatient physical therapy clinic. And I think it was a random Tuesday. I was uh, working with a driver who had been uh, in the industry for 40 years. He just had a total knee replacement. And, you know, we were just talking about his struggles and kind of the lifestyle on the road. And, you know, I had a history, our uh, previous company I owned that was an online health and wellness uh, coaching company and kind of really heard his struggle and uh, got really inspired to do something about it. And, you know, through talking to him, I saw the good and the bad of the trucking industry. And really a lot of the bad came for, you know, the reason why he was in the clinic in the first place is health. And so I was just super inspired, uh, went home that night, uh, with being in physical therapy school, I'm a research guy and dug into some of the statistics and just, man, it, you've got a population of drivers, uh, that as a whole need some help. And it, it just has really inspired me to start this company. That's awesome. So there's this altruistic nature behind it. I mean, yeah. anybody can do burpees and, and pull-ups and push-ups and stuff like that in a gym. Right, yeah. but but do it in a cab of a truck. Work as a and, mental thing too, and and it's a very it is a mental thing. It is a mental thing. So, uh, can you uh, Mark show us or tell us a little bit of how this program works? Is it online? Is it in person? Do you travel out to their cab and you guys get in the sleeper and you do some push ups and you're yelling at? What's how's this work? Yeah, I mean, well, to go back first off about like the mindset thing is that was the first thing I noticed. Right, you've got drivers who are on the road sometimes three hundred something days a year away from their family months at a time. And there was really, there's really a mindset and like a cultural problem with drivers of, uh, I'm just a driver. I get thrown to the back burner by society and, you know, health is not something I need to focus on. And, you know, go to the truck stop and you see all these guys. And uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, 85% of them are overweight and one in seven of them have diabetes. And it's when you've got this group, you know, there's so many barriers that are stopping them from going uh, on the road. And, you know, when I looked at some of the things that are offered by 
trucking companies as a wellness program and also what drivers have. It's, you know, here's info pamphlets, take this information and go, or here's a gym membership, try to find one that has truck parking and then, you know, try to fit that in your day. So what we've done is really tried to create a program that takes away as many barriers as possible for the drivers. And we're an app-based platform right on their phone. Every single day they get a couple of different workout options. And um, one all the workouts are 20 to 30 minutes long, so they can fit it in their break or before they start driving um, or at the end of the day, wherever it is, but just really making it easy for them and they don't have to fit an hour and a half and try to schedule that in their day. Um, and there's no special equipment or anything like that. In a truck, it, it could seem kind of limiting, right? Oh, yeah, there's not a ton of space there, but is that a misconception? And what kind of exercises can drivers do? I also think we have a supporting video of a few of those as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I sent you guys some videos and, you know, I think that the biggest thing that drivers need to realize is that first off, it doesn't have to be perfect. Something is always going to be better than nothing. And you don't have to come out here and, you know, have this huge, uh, you know, barbell and all these weights and stuff like that to get a good exercise, uh, get a good workout in. And if it's walking around the truck, if it's walking around the truck stop, or we've got all of our workouts can be done in the truck or outside of the truck. So things like doing squats down to your bed, standing up, sitting down, doing push-ups against your bed, um, and using – we actually give all the drivers a resistance band. And it's super easy, lightweight to carry around, and um, there's just so many different exercises that they can do with those. It's really awesome. So what kind of feedback are you getting from your students? Are they liking this this thing? Is this is really helping out some people? Yeah, it really is. And I think the biggest thing and the biggest challenge that we faced is really that mindset thing of getting them to realize that, okay, this is a really big deal. And, you know, you guys uh, probably hear this in the, the freight and just looking at efficiency from the trucking standpoint, you know, time is money for these guys. And if they're not going, they're not making money. But really the mindset shift that we're trying to focus and get drivers to realize is that, yeah, today you might, you know, lose a little bit of money. But think about, you know, if your health makes you retire early and, you know, what five or 10 extra years of your career could do, that's hundreds and thousands of dollars potentially. And looking at it from a long-term standpoint versus a really just, um, you know, tunnel focused on today. You wrote on LinkedIn that too many companies are just waiting for the work comp ferry to leave a premium, a lower premium under their pillow. Elaborate on that. What are what are most companies doing wrong here? Yeah, you know, I think that really when I started, so like I said, when I got into this, I I really came into this inspired to help the drivers. But as I got deeper and deeper into this, I'm realizing that everyone wins if drivers are healthy. And from the logistics and you know efficiency standpoint to the companies where, you know, there's a lot of money that they're paying or they're losing out on because their drivers are increased work comp claims, you know, increased cost per claim, the health insurance standpoint, and then also retention is a huge issue too. But, you know, for the work comp thing is, you know, these drivers, a lot of these companies don't offer a program or they don't really do very much for their driver's health. And they're complaining about all of these expenses, but they're just waiting around, waiting for something magically to happen. And, you know, as we all know, if something's going to change, you actually have to do something to cause that change. So, you know, the and the other aspect that you get with companies is they want it 
done tomorrow, right? They want you to put money in and they want to see a return tomorrow. And, you know, all three of us can go work out today, but you're not going to wake up tomorrow with a six pack. Mm. So... Mark, hey, let me this, ask you about that. Mark, because I, I yeah. just had movers at my house. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying anything negative like about the movers, but they they didn't they weren't like jacked, right? They still look <laughs> like like regular, like adult, like adult yeah. men. But yeah. I'm watching them. They're going up three flights of stairs back and forth all day. And they must be doing this at other places, Multiple carrying times. big heavy yeah. stuff. Why aren't they like super jacked? Yeah, I mean, well, I think the thing you're probably not seeing is potentially what they're eating after they get done oh. moving. But you know, I think <laughs> that plays a huge role into it. But you know, I, I think that as truck drivers, there are definitely a ton of different jobs and some of them are a lot more active than others. And uh, I think it's awesome, especially, you know, you hear people talk about um, flatbed drivers and how they're getting up and, you know, cranking everything down and they're getting some activity. But for a majority of these people, they're not moving at all during the day. So something is going to be better than nothing. Let's get a moving, yeah. Mark. Where should we send them to? Yeah, so uh, my company, uh, my website is truckandfit.com, T-R-U-C-K-I-N-F-I-T.com, or uh, companies or anyone who works at trucking companies. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Mark Monera, or the Trucking Fitness Company on any social media. Thanks, Mark. Have Thanks, an excellent weekend. Thanks for joining us, and thanks for yeah, helping thank keeping so drivers healthy, healthy and safe. Take care. Thank you. And now we're going to check in with... Alicia Butler Pierre. She's founder and CEO of Equilibria, and she's an author as well, as well as a great LinkedIn follow. Alicia, thank you for joining us today. <laughs> thank you so much. I'm so excited about this. So tell us a little bit about yourself, because you you uh, you come at business from a very interesting angle, from the the angle of internal business infrastructure, which is not a conversation we always have. And in fact, you even mention in your sort of copy about your company that most companies don't even don't really know what I do. Exactly, and this this is such a a perfect situation to describe what I do because of you know what the truck is all about the trucking industry, right, which has to do with infrastructure. And when most people hear the word infrastructure, they do, in fact, think of transportation or maybe network, uh, you know, on the IT side. But we're talking about business infrastructure. And so what I mean by that is business infrastructure is how you link your people, your processes, and your tools and your technologies to make sure that information and work flows as seamlessly as possible. So whereas you all you know, you help your listeners as well as the company that you're associated with, Freight Waves, actually focus on transportation infrastructure to make sure that goods and, and products move about as seamlessly as possible. Think about the same thing, but from a business perspective in terms of your people, your processes, and your tools and technologies. Yeah, so we always talk about this, breaking down mm-hmm. the silos, right? Especially when we're talking yeah. about data. We're oh, going to yeah, break yeah. down yeah. the silos. Silo data. You're breaking down the silos. That That's kind of what exactly. we're talking about here. That's exactly right, because when you have silos, your left hand doesn't know what the right hand is right. doing. And so you can duplicate you can duplicate work or things just may not get done at all. So that's that's a great analogy. So, Alicia, you know, people are understanding this and I think they're understanding this more and more as we move forward. And we talk about these different things and people like yourself uh, specialize in breaking down these silos and, and building up this infrastructure. Um, so you've got a lot of companies here that never thought about it before, and now they're trying to fix all these silos. How important is it to think about this at the very beginning and build out your infrastructure so that it does talk and doesn't become siloed versus the cost of fixing it after it's already occurred? 
Oh, that's such a great question. <laughs> In a perfect world, people would always take a look at this when they're starting up their companies. And that's regardless of any industry. But if we're, if we're talking about your truckerpreneurs, you know, ideally you would start to take a look at those things as you start to independently start and, you know, own and operate your own, your own trucking company. But unfortunately, that's not what happens. And I'll tell you why I think that is. Because when we're first starting our companies, it's all about getting the word out. You need to promote it. You know, and you guys do such an amazing job at promoting this podcast. I love seeing the links every, every, you know, every week on LinkedIn. But it's, it's about the sales and the marketing and the promotion, the branding, the PR. The stuff we're talking about, business infrastructure, that's the operations, the, the not so sexy stuff, the let's roll up our sleeves and get into the nitty gritty details. Nobody has time for that. And sadly, it's not until they are forced to do it that they actually start to look at it. So I, I do wish that more companies proactively thought about this in the beginning. But the, the pushback, honestly, that I receive mostly from startups is, well, I don't know what I don't know. So mm -hmm. how can I write down processes? How can I talk about the people that I need to actually build up my team if I haven't even really started and got out there yet? It's a valid point. But I think, and I do have a list of 29 must-have processes that every company should have. I'm, I'm more than happy to share that with your, your, your listeners if you'd like. But I think if nothing else to start at least thinking about it, and then as, as you start to get into your company and you get your feet wet and you start to, to get some different customers, then you know you can go back and maybe start to actually put pen to paper and document how to perform some of these different processes. Yeah, I mean, some of this stuff just happens because someone leaves the company. They kind of work as like the crossing guard. They're yeah. directing information back and forth. They leave, everyone sells the same other roles, but you no longer have that crossing guard. So that yeah. information never gets across the street to one another anymore. And it, you know, it's one of those things where you don't know what you don't know, and it's, it's, a hard, it, it's a hard stop gap to fix. One other thing you said that was super interesting to me that you wrote on your LinkedIn was that some small businesses fail and I, and I think this is important because it's not intuitive. Some small businesses fail, not from a lack of customers, but from too many customers because they start fronting. Tell us about that. <laughs> yes. And what I mean by that, Dooner, is we, we always hear the statistics about small businesses failing because they don't have enough business, right? They don't have enough customers. But what happens when, as a result of being a guest on your podcast or having an appearance on a major television show, now you have all of this attention, you're bringing all of this traffic to your website, your phone is ringing off the hook. Now you have a different type of problem. Are you able to actually meet the demand for your trucking services? Think about that. Think about what happened as a result of COVID mm. and how all of a sudden, uh, guns, ammunition, toilet tissue, all of these th wet wipes, all of these things, there was a backlog because the supply couldn't keep up with the demand. Think about that with your trucking company, for those of you who are listening. If you were to, quote unquote, get on the map, could your company's operations actually handle surge in demand? So it's definitely something to think about because that's another reason why businesses can fail, even though they're successful and profitable. Yeah, I mean, br brokers do it in our business all the time. We're the yeah. best at everything. We can cover every lane. Oh, yeah. 
We I have relationships <laughs> with 68,000 carriers. I can double your load. I can double broker your load with the best of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, but the other point that you bring up, you know, is that you don't know what you don't know. Right. Yeah. And, and one of those things is what, what you do. You should know or what you need to realize is that while you're busy out there doing all this stuff to grow your business and, and we worry about this back-end non-sexy stuff, as you put it, later that you don't even know you're missing, mm. is that if you're taking care of this stuff, you can actually grow faster, right? So you're limiting yourself in, in growing. Yeah. Isn't, she, isn't, I mean, well, she uses it. some tech. She uses some tech yeah, to and bring that's this all together. This, yeah. right? she, so you said that your proudest accomplishment is in, in the invention of a proprietary software technology. I'm going to butcher this. Yeah. Casino, I think <laughs> is what it is. Or Casino. <laughs> no, that's actually really close. Is it really? It's pretty good. Do you pronounce both ends? It's Casino, right? Casino. 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 It comes from uh, two ancient Egyptian words so okay and sinew well here was interesting about that here well here's what what was it it's because it says it blends elements of operations management psychology lean production and six sigma how does that work yeah yes so so as a result my, my background is actually in chemical engineering so that's when i first that's how my love for processes and and seeing things flow that's where it first began so i was in a manufacturing environment believe it or not i was actually making roundup the weed killer. Oh, sure. And uh, I, I eventually left that career behind. And I started to transfer knowledge that I had about manufacturing processes to the business, the business world. The psychology comes into play when, especially when we're talking about that people component of business infrastructure, a lot of it is just trying to understand what makes people tick. What colors should you use? What shapes should you use? When you're documenting a process, do you need to document it in the form of a video or a standard operating procedure or some type of a checklist? Different people have different ways that they learn and retain information. That's where the psychology piece comes in. And I know there was one other part to that that you asked. I'm sorry. What was it? Oh, we were just wondering how they all fit together in, in the oh, software, yes, really. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, so, so this this software is it started off in, as an, an internal tool that we were using because we worked with so many different types of companies. I've actually done some work in the trucking industry, believe it or not. And so, what I've learned is that regardless of the industry, there are certain components that every small business needs to have in place to kind of lay that foundation to scale and. If you'd like, I can share what those those different components are. I can do it quickly. Sure. If you'd like. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> so the first is uh, is just identifying all of the tasks that have to be performed in your company, no matter how mundane, how complex, whether it's performed on a daily basis, weekly, monthly, so forth and so on. That information lays the foundation for ultimately figuring out how to group those tasks into departments. And then once you have that, those departments figured out, you can then figure out, ideally in a perfect world, if I had access to all of the resources that I needed, who ideally should perform these tasks? Because when you're first starting your company, you know, we always say you're wearing a lot, you're wearing many hats. Mm. You might be a solopreneur as a truckerpreneur. You're also a solopreneur. But but hopefully it won't always be that way. So think about it. In a perfect world, who are the people who will perform all of these, these tasks? So in the back office, you have your bookkeeping, you know, some office management stuff going on. You have the actual drivers, so forth and so on. You may be doing all of those things when you first start. 
but hopefully you won't be doing all of those things two, three, five years from now. So that lays the foundation for an organizational chart. You then want to think about, from a legality standpoint, all of the records, your records management policies, because I can only imagine the regulations that come with Mm -hmm. the trucking industry. So how do you maintain those records so that if you are audited, you can pass that audit? Alicia, let's not... Alicia, let's not give away all the sauce because we are running short on time. People want to connect with you. They want to learn more. Where should we send them to? Sure. So the best place is my website, my personal website. That's AliciaButlerPierre.com. And when you go there, it serves as a hub for, you know, all of my social media links, as well as my book, my podcast, as well as my consulting company. Thank you so much for your time today. Have a lovely weekend. Thank you. Thanks, Alicia. All right, gang, now it's time for a little bad news, good news. Ah, the bad news and good news. Oh, did they cut it off before the crash? How do you get cut off before the crash? Come on, give us a crash. Give us a crash, keyboard cat. All right, here's the first one. Good news, you finally found parking in the yard or in the middle of a good night's rest. And you're in your sleeper berth. Life's good, right? Oh, yeah. I'm feeling, well, I'm feeling I'm there. I'm in the zone. Well, now, now you're, you're half naked and screaming in pain at 3 in the morning. Well, out in the freezing cold and a cop is talking to you. How the hell did that happen? Well, CDL uh, Life reports. Unfortunately, I can relate to that as well. <laughs> CDL Life reports that, the, uh, that a man was standing naked, uh, half naked in there. Uh, he was screaming in pain. Apparently, he got shot in the face with bear spray. He was a team truck driver. His... Uh, <laughs> The woman he was team truck driving with, uh, Crystal Allery, he's in her semi. She's drunk, and he says, uh, you know, allegedly, he says, you can't drive the truck drunk. It's 3 in the morning. What are you thinking? I'm trying to sleep back here. She goes, I don't care. She sprays him with the bear spray. He's out naked in the parking lot. That's when the cop comes in. But here's the weird part. The cop was not there because of this incident. The cop was there because somewhere else in the yard, some other person was throwing, some other lady was throwing rocks at a truck. Yeah, a lot of weird things going on. A lot of drama going on. I think this should be a reality show at this truck talk. That's in in Idaho or something like that. Yeah, it was in Bonneville County Sheriff's. I think we have a picture, too, of the the perpetrator here. Wow, okay, so... And she's armed. Yeah, she is. She's armed and dangerous, so look at... Swipe left. Here's some good news. What? OPEC surprises with more oil output. Finally. Yeah, finally. And the market surprises with higher prices. According to the press reports, the OPEC... That's the bad uh, news, right? Yeah, that's the bad news, is the market surprises with higher, higher, even higher prices. So more oil, but higher prices. According mm. to press reports, the OPEC Plus Group, which in early March chose to hold production steady, even as oil prices were posting significant gains. If you remember that, we were all surprised as what was going on there. They decided this time to add roughly 2 million barrels per day production to the world production uh, between May and July. And the news of the OPEC, uh, OPEC Plus decision this time came around midday U.S. time, and prices held their high of the day. Yeah, Did John Kingston has off. a John Kingston has a full article on that article. on our site, breaking it down. The good news of the the other tail end good news to that mm-hmm. is that we ended our run of increases yes. in the DOA EIA charts yep. that John Kingston posts every week. Held steady, twenty weeks, not a twenty first week. So, and then on this news, maybe we're going to see a taper back down. I know a lot of people getting getting antsy about this. A lot, of, we're getting squeezed in a lot of directions. Yeah, 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 yeah. Here's some good news. You're a geologist enjoying a relaxing holiday at Geography Bay in Australia. Sounds perfect. Geologist yeah. at Geography Bay. Right on. 
Heck, you're even appreciating the sea life and have spotted an, ost- an octopus trying to ensnare a seagull in his tentacles. You're sucking me in with these really nice narratives. You're pretty like painting. Are you pretty hearing pictures, it? man? I'm I there. hear this one. I hear the. I, I hear smell the it. Surf. I smell it. Yeah. Well, here's the mistake. When you when you see an octopus trying to attack a seagull. Maybe that's when you go the other direction on the beach. He goes over, he starts taking a video of this octopus. <laughs> the octopus wasn't fronting. The octopus has spotted him, this gentleman named Lance Carlson. It comes over in the water, and as he's trying to film, it hits him with this tentacle in the neck, and then it hits him with the other tentacle in the neck. He got all these welts on, 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 his, uh, on his stump. He goes to the beach, and apparently he can pour cola on it. Yeah. I thought he'd have someone pee on it, but he had well, someone... Well, he said usually vinegar, he didn't have any, so he yeah. tried to cola and it worked. Yeah, he couldn't find anyone to pee on him, so he pours the cola all over his neck. Is that neck. part of the good news, he couldn't find anybody to pee on him? <laughs> I guess so, or it depends on it, you know, it depends on what you're into. Yeah, I guess. It depends on what you're into. Well, he said that, well, here's the thing, so he's cool now, right? He's feeling there good. Is. There's a picture poured, of the octopus right I there. I know. So he feels, he's feeling good. It's, it's on his neck and he's like, all right, there's no way that lightning's going to strike twice. So he goes back in the water yeah. and he's swimming around. And then he said, my goggles became fog. The water suddenly became murky. And I remember being shocked and confused. People had to pull him out of the water because the octopus came back for seconds. He <laughs> came to kick his butt. I told you to stay out of the water, boy. Release the crack and stay away. I love octopus, though. Watch my octopus teacher on Netflix this weekend. If you're, you're bored, you want to get away from the family on Easter. I swear, it's a great doc. Documentary. That's interesting. All right, octopus or Godzilla? Who you got? Octopus or Godzilla? I mean, like the size of Godzilla? Yeah, yeah no, no, oh. in a fight. Let's say, okay, Kong. Uh, Same you know, size? Yeah, yeah. Octopus. Octopus. Yeah. Every day they're of the week. Sm- they're wicked smart. Yeah, so here's some bad news. You just got out of the grocery store, my friend, and you're pulling out of the parking lot, and when you look in your rearview mirror, 15,000 bees have swarmed <laughs> swarming in your back seat. How is he pulling out of the parking lot with 15,000? Like, how did he not notice 15,000 bees? <laughs> You're just so excited about the Hot Pockets you just bought, <laughs> and you want to get home and eat those things up. Yeah. You didn't notice. Or you have, like, a loud jalopy. <laughs> it must have been a loud jalopy. But... Maybe they were forming, like, a, a, a directional arrow, like, like in a cartoon. Yeah, 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 like Finding Nemo. Yeah. Well, this way, ma'am. <laughs> yeah. I don't so know. So what happened? The good news is you're calling 911 because you're freaked out. You're pulled yeah. over to the side of the road and these bees are everywhere. The fireman who responds, his name is Jesse Johnson. You know who he is? I don't know. He's a beekeeper. Is he the guy who put the bees there? Yeah, no, but he could have <laughs> That's been. my conspiracy No, theory. but he, he's one. <laughs> <laughs> it took him a few hours, my friend, but he got all 15,000 bees out of the backseat of your car and eventually brought them home to his property where now he's making honey with them. I guess so. he took them. I, are you sure he didn't just put them in there? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It was April Fool's Day yesterday. And he is a beekeeper. Mm. Like, what are the chances that you have the bee, the, the one beekeeper is the guy who shows up? It is up? suspicious, but it's New Mexico. Strange things happen so. in New Mexico, my friend. We had that other story with the lady who's bear spraying people. Well, meanwhile, another lady's throwing rocks at us. Yeah. Sorry. So coincid- coincidences do happen. Yeah, well, you, 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 this guy, yeah, <laughs> exactly right. This, was this part of the whole sequence of events? Good thing they uh, weren't murder hornets, though. These were just, these were like docile. But only one person, the, the craziest thing is only one oh, yeah, person yeah, got yeah. stung. And it was a security guard at the, yeah. at the grocery store. It wasn't yeah, even was like the guys that were involved. Yeah. And they might have just not liked security guards. Yeah. I had a bunch of bees infiltrate a tree in my backyard, and they're much different than wasps. Like wasps, if you have a little, like even a little wasp nest, and you close like your back screen door too quickly or too oh, yeah, loudly, they'll come out and they'll try and mess you up. Yes, I had to go hide will. in my car from some wasps once. Because you know when they sting you, it releases like a signal to all the other wasps? To come and sting you. To come and sting you. Yeah, yeah. This guy's, this guy's a, yeah. 
Yeah. Come and get him. <laughs> you don't want to find that Easter egg in the back of your car. I found Dooner. Hey. <laughs> hey, coming up on Monday on the show, we got Mark Vickers. He's EVP of International Logistics at Reliance Partners. We have Stephen Roy, president owner at Roy Trans Global Logistics. He's going to play it forward for us. All and right. Gabriel Bosch, a, hey, she's a fellow TEDx speaker, co-founder of The Purpose Company, best-selling author, and America's millennial expert. Maybe you can crack the code on those young people with us. Not even Gen Z, though. And millennials are getting old. I was watching Survivor, Gen X versus Millennials, and all those millennials are like the Gen X cast members' age now. You guys are getting old. We're all getting old every single second of every single day. So enjoy it. Drink it up. Have a happy Easter. We'll catch you on Monday. Peace and love.